We've been going through, uh, as a church, the book of Hebrews for several months now. And over the past weeks, here in December, uh, we've looked at chapter 10 as we've walked through the season of Advent. And we're going to continue uh, and conclude our Advent study as we look together at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, verses 19 through 25. So go ahead and turn there, and as you get there, stand and follow along as I read. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that You are with us, that You have come and You have made a way, and just as this text says, a way for us to draw near to You. It's our greatest hope, it's our greatest joy, and we pray that You'd help us, that it would be our greatest desire. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm sure you're familiar, most of you at least, with the story, A Christmas Carol. How many of you know the story well, A Christmas Carol? Okay, kids, you're in here so you can participate with this. Uh, the main character for A Christmas Carol is Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge is his actual name, but if you want to be negative about it, that's okay. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is a grumpy, Christmas-hating man and is visited by his old partner, who is who? Marley. Jacob Marley is dead. And he comes, and he's meeting with Ebenezer Scrooge, and, and, and he's in the state of being punished with the fate of carrying this weight around, this heavy weight of chains around as he wanders the earth because of his greedy and self serving life. And throughout the story, he hopes to save his friend Scrooge from the same fate. And so in the story, Scrooge is visited by three ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And there is a wonderful, wonderful conclusion ending to the story. Because Scrooge's eyes are opened through these three visitors. And he joyfully lives the rest of his days in response to the redemption that he's met. And that's really a lot like the text before us today. The writer of Hebrews is urging his readers that 
we would have joy in our redemption and hope in our redemption. We tend to think of Christmas as a season, a season of hope. But what we see in the text and in the gospel is that hope isn't seasonal. For those who are in Christ, it is more than a season of hope. It is a life of hope. And so, I want to look at the text today, Hebrews 10, 19-25, with a Christmas carol bent or lens. Three things I want to observe from the text. The first is this, the hope of Christmas past. The second, the hope of Christmas present. And third, the hope of Christmas future. First, the hope of Christmas past, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh. There's an assumption in verse 19. You see that? The word since. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place. In other words, if you are a brother or sister in Christ... You have confidence. Confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence, so if you're here and you're saved and you don't feel confident to enter, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you must, you should, you ought to have confidence. You do have confidence. Why? Because of what happened in the past. Because the confidence that we have comes from someone else's work. It comes from someone else's righteousness. It comes from someone else's acceptability. The reality is, if entering the holy places was dependent on my own work, or dependent on my own righteousness, or dependent on my own acceptability before God, then I would have no confidence at all. None of us would. I would have no hope at all. Because I can't and I never could do enough to deserve access to God. Because God is holy, completely set apart in all of His ways, completely righteous, pure, and we are not. And so if I was dependent on myself to enter, then yes, I would be hopeless. I would have no confidence at all. But the hope of Christmas past is that someone else did the work. Someone else was righteous on our behalf. Someone else was accepted on our behalf. Christ Jesus came to this earth. That's the hope of Christmas past. And He came once for all. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in spirit. In other words, a righteous man 
came to represent unrighteous people. And he lived a righteous life for them on their behalf, and he died a cruel death on their behalf. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Hebrews is reminding us. You have confidence because of that. Isaiah says he was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our iniquities. The writer of Hebrews here since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. When Christ, on the cross, when His body was torn, it brought about His death, and simultaneously, God tore the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. The curtain that cut off access to the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, opening the way through Christ. That is the hope the writer of Hebrews reminds us of here. We have access now through Christ. Because of Christ and what He accomplished, we are forgiven when we trust in His work. Verses 17 and 18 in Hebrews 10 I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That is good news, and that is the hope of Christmas past. Something happened, and because that happened, Christ forgives sins, and where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering. There's nothing else left to be done, and so As the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have confidence, we have it, to enter. It's been done. That's the hope of Christmas past. Christ opened for us through His flesh the way to God. That's the immeasurable hope of Christmas past, but it doesn't stay there. There's hope now, the hope of Christmas past present. Verse 20 again, by the new and living way. The new and living way. The old way was not a way that brought life. This is significant, what the writer is reminding us here, through the death of Christ's flesh, through the death of Jesus, we are made alive. We're no longer dead. It's what Ephesians 2, Paul is is writing in Ephesians 2. You were dead. You were dead, real dead. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. This present hope comes with a confidence and hope that Christ is our advocate, our priestly advocate, that He goes before us. Jesus is constant, constant. He is our high priest right now, presently, interceding for those who are His. And His intercession never ceases. He never stops interceding for those who are His. That is a hope now for you and for me. 
So Jesus is both the curtain that the writer of Hebrews speaks of, our access to God, and He's the priest. He's our advocate before God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. My grandmother passed away a week and a half ago. Last Saturday, we buried her. And at the graveside, I read this text. Because this is the hope we have now. The hope for those who gathered around that casket and the hope for the one that was in the casket is not some past hope that is gone or some future hope that may come at some point. It's now. The hope of Christmas is present now because Christ doesn't let go of us and He continues to intercede for us now. That is the hope of the present And our present hope in Christ leads us to live now in the present for His glory. This text we are in this morning is actually the turning point for the book of Hebrews. It's here that the writer of Hebrews turns from explaining the superiority of the person and work of Jesus Christ to the application of it in our lives. What do we do with that? And so the writer now becomes very explicit regarding how Christians ought to live. The previous ten chapters, if they're truly believed, if they're embraced, ought to result in a present hope that is lived out. That's what we see at this turning point. And so we'll see here in these next verses and following the words since and let us. Since this is true, Let us this. And so what are the let us things that we see in the text today? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a dependent statement. This is dependent on something. Since we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ, of our access through Him and His advocacy for us, let us draw near to Him. The writer here is saying, is even right now in the present, you don't need to fear if you're in Christ. You can have confidence, and therefore you can draw near to God. Our hearts are inwardly sprinkled with Christ's blood. That's the picture He gives us to cleanse us. 
We come to Christ in faith for the first time in our lives. Our guilt is completely gone. Our conscience rests for the first time. The writer speaks of the unchangeable work of Christ in our hearts. We are clean. We are holy. As he says previously, we are sanctified in Christ because of Him, because of what He and only He accomplishes. He refers to this outer act of washing, baptism, this symbol of the inward work that God does through Jesus Christ. When we believe, we are clean. It goes on, verse 23, the next, let us. Let us draw near, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't you doubt what saved you. And don't you doubt what is saving you now. And don't you doubt what will keep you saved. It was Christ, it is Christ, and it will always be Christ. Hold fast to that. We struggle and we stumble when we think that there is the hope of Christmas past but forget that hope remains in the present. That what got us saved will keep us saved. We don't, we don't change course at some point and think that now we have to do specific things to keep ourselves saved. He's saying, let us do these things because of what Christ has already done, because of who He is for us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. You see that? He's the one that's faithful, so you hold fast to Him. Not you're faithful, so you're going to make it to heaven. No, no, no. He's faithful on your behalf, so hold on to the the one that's faithful. Don't doubt the one that's faithful. The hope of Christmas past is because of who Christ is for us. And the hope of Christmas present is because of who Christ is for us. Consider what the writer of Hebrews says earlier in Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This is is a hope that is grounded in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, enthronement, and intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is anchored, he says, at the right hand of God. It is safe and it is secure. That's the hope that we share in Christ, not just in the past, not just some hope that was a fleeting hope that came because we went to a service and we prayed a prayer and and it was just a wonderful time. It's a hope that lasts, that we can have confidence in Christ. 
He's, he's literally saying here, let us hold unbendingly to the hope that we confess. For he who promised is faithful. Again, there's a focus to that hope. The hope is not in me and my faithfulness. It is in Christ and His faithfulness. He's not saying you're not going to have difficult days. He's not saying that things are not going to be hard. He's saying Christ will be faithful and is faithful. So hold. Hold on to Him and hope in Him. And then he gives us another third let us statement. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is an encouragement to consider one another, to think of one another, to encourage one another. Do we realize the significance of what we are doing right now and what many, many other bodies are doing right now as they gather together in Christ's name? Christ is present in the gathered church, significantly present right now. You consider that, that as we are here together We meet Christ in a special way in corporate worship. That's a significant thing. And so the writer is saying, why would you not encourage that? Why would you not want that? Why would you not want to be a part of that? Why would you not care about that? Not just for yourself, but for other believers, other brothers and sisters. Encourage them. And consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Corporate worship provides a context where passion is joyously elevated. God's Word ministers in a unique way. You think about Martin Luther. I would guess that Martin Luther had a pretty decent devotional life. That's an understatement. And yet, he says this, At home, in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, When the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. There's something significant about this, the writer's saying. There's something true about this. So encourage one another. Stir each other up. Gather together so that each each of you are stirred up to good works and to love one another. And stir each other up to gather together. Don't neglect this, he's saying. Don't let that go. Encourage each other to that end. Realize what has been gifted to you in the gathered body of Christ. That this is a gift. 
Stir up one another to meet together. Don't think you can do this alone. And in meeting together, stir up one another to love and good works, to do something with what we're hearing. There's hope. There's hope in Christmas past, and there's hope in Christmas present. There's hope now and expectation now, and that brings us to our third point. There's hope of Christmas future, that hope doesn't end for us. You consider the season of Advent, the season of waiting, waiting for the coming of the Christ child. That waiting in Advent is taken to its full meaning when we look to His second coming. In other words, Advent doesn't end for us. We gather together, wait for the one who has come and who is to come. We are still in a season of waiting. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a day coming. There's a day drawing near. That's the hope of Christmas future. There is a day coming when we will see Him face to face, that the hope we have now will be realized fully as we stand before Him and dwell with Him forever and ever and ever. That's the hope of Christmas future. And that hope, the hope of Christmas future, of the one day where that, that is coming where Christ will return is just as secure for us in Christ as the past and present is. That we can have certainty of this coming. The writer here is saying that since we see the day approaching, let's encourage each other all the more. Why? Because he's faithful because we're anchored in Him, because we are secure in Christ. There's hope. If you are in Christ, this is more than a season of hope. Hope doesn't end for you. It's fulfilled for you. The same one who came on your behalf to set you free from sin will come again to bring you to be with Him forever. There's no greater hope than that. I pray that we would truly hope in Him, in His faithfulness, in His work, in His righteousness, in His acceptability today. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't know Him, to find hope in Him today trust in the work that Christ accomplished, that, that someone came on your behalf and lived a perfect life on your behalf, something you could never do, and died for you, took the punishment that we deserve for our sins on the cross, suffered and died as a payment for redemption, to redeem you from your sins. So that if you would trust in Him and follow Him, you will be saved. There's no greater Christmas gift than that. There's no greater hope than that. I encourage you, trust Him 
today. And for those of us who know Christ this Christmas Eve, as we consider the hope that we have in Him, let's remember His sacrifice and hope in His coming. We're going to take the bread and the cup together and want to remind us again from 1 Corinthians 11, this text that we read over and over and over, why we take the bread and why we take the cup and remembering, remembering the sacrifice of our Savior that brings us this hope. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The bread and the cup are passed. I encourage you, remember. There's hope Christmas passed. Someone came, Christ. He gave his life. His body was broken and his blood was shed. And because of that, if you're in him, you have hope today and you have hope for a future coming of Christ. Paul goes on and he says, as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember and let's rejoice as we take together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, you're good and what you do is good. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. Thank you, Lord, that your word has been entrusted to us, that we can look at your word and see the truth of the gospel, the hope for this world, the only hope for this world. And praise you for this body, Lord. Thank you for the gift of the gathered body. Thank you for each and every individual that's represented here, Lord, that you have brought together. I pray that we would be a people who respond to you and your grace and the hope that we have, the security that we have in Christ, your faithfulness, by stirring one another up, encouraging one another, and all the more as we look ahead to the day you come. Help us, Father, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.